scripture reading this morning, going along with the sermon, is Matthew 6, verses 5 through 13, which we just prayed. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. And as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of God. Good morning. As we uh, continue to dive into the Apostles' Creed, what we are saying is that the Apostles' Creed takes this million-word Bible and takes it and puts the essentials into a couple phrases. And this is what people, uh, Christians throughout history and even presently across the globe uh, confess. This is what they believe. And it begins with, I believe in God the Father Almighty. So here's what I want to think about. A few months ago, I got to go to REF Summer Conference with my family. And I got to uh, experience and participate in uh, my first silent disco uh, I don't know uh, if you've gotten to do this or if you're familiar with it. It's actually really fun. I would, I'd invite you to jump in. Here's how it works. This is actually on the beach at night, and you get handed headphones if you want to participate. And what you realize is those headphones have different channels with different lights. So like the blue channel, uh, you know, might be the pop channel playing Taylor Swift or something. And the orange channel, you know, it might be playing 80s music. And then, then you put it on, and you walk out to the beach and whatever channel you're listening to, everybody else in that channel has the same song going and everybody's dancing to it. But if you're watching it, it's really fun because you don't hear the music. You just kind of see people dancing in unison to the different, to the different uh, colors. Well, okay. So imagine this, all right? I am, this might shock you. I'm not a good dancer. I know that's shocking. Uh, but, you know, it was at night. It was at the beach. It was with my family. So what the heck, you know, we'll go for it. And so here's the scene. I have my headphones on, and let's say I've got the blue hip-hop channel, and I'm, I'm listening to Outkast, okay? So if you can imagine, if you can bear the thought of imagining me trying to dance to Outkast, all right, and just kind of going, and I bump into somebody. And when I bump into somebody, I look up and realize everybody else is on the orange channel listening to Journey, uh, you know, Don't Stop Believing, which is a very different beat than, than the hip-hop. And what you begin to realize is that because I'm dancing to my own beat, I'm running into other people and I look chaotic because they're, they're, they're dancing to something else while I'm flailing around. This is the point. If you dance to a different tune than everybody else, it actually creates disruption. It creates chaos. And here's what I want to ask. What if the Apostles' Creed as a whole, but especially this first line, is actually showing us the tune that the universe actually dances to. Actually, the beat 
that people made in his image are supposed to dance to. When we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, that is the foundation. Or if you knew C.S. Lewis's language, that is the tune that you are to made to dance to because it's happened from all of eternity. But it's not what we naturally dance to. We dance to a different tune and it creates all kinds of damage and disruption. And so this, this prayer Jesus talks about actually is going to reference uh, God the Father Almighty. And here's our three points, okay? I worked really hard on these. You're going to be able to tell I went to seminary. The three points are <laughs> in God, the Father, and Almighty. Those are our three points, okay? Uh, a guy named Ricky Jones, another pastor named Colin Peters, uh, both of I know were extremely helpful in this. So here we go. First, in God. So our passage is, is Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray, and he's contrasting it with the way other people pray. And I'm going to come back to it, but, but at least this. I, this should come as no surprise that Jesus and the Scriptures assume that there is a God who is real and he hears us. Now look, I, I know that there's people in this uh, sanctuary who might not be convinced that God is real. And I'm actually really glad that you're here, and I hope you keep coming. I'm not going to take on that question this morning, but the assumption of Scripture is that God is real and He hears you. And so if you were here last week, and I'm not going to repeat that, but Les talked about what believing is, what, what having faith is. And believing, which everybody does, we all have faith in something, is always concerned with the object. What are you believing in? And the Scriptures say saving faith is away from self to God. And so the Apostles' Creed, right, it doesn't say, I believe in myself. It doesn't even say, I believe in the Bible. Of course we do, it's God's Word. But it says, I believe in God. Which means the foundation of this dance, if we want to talk, talk, talk that way, is that there is a God, and I am not Him. That God is reality, that He's the foundation, He's the starting point, not me. Which means you've begun the steps of Christianity when you begin to realize I'm not the center of the world. When you begin to realize that the world doesn't revolve around me. That the story of my life in this world doesn't have my needs, my desires, me as the central character, but him. And that's just not how we naturally live. Uh, one of my friends uh, puts it this way. He said, hey, he said, Brian, next time, you, so next time you're on the road, I want you to start looking around and see how many Captain D's restaurants there are. I was like, okay, that's odd. He goes, because how many times have you been to Captain D's? I was like, I think three times in my whole life. It's okay if you've been more than that. And he said, okay, you've been three times, yet there's so many of them being kept in business by so many people. I was like, oh, that is interesting. Because if this world simply revolved around me and my needs, Captain D's would not exist. <laughs> but apparently there's this whole world of people who have different preferences, different needs, and my existence is not dependent on them. And here's what's weird. It's like, like all those people have families and they exist and they have lives when I don't even see them and think about them. But I only think they exist when I see them, right? <laughs> That's how we think. My friend Ricky Jones put it this way. He... <laughs> I remember having a conversation, I think this was with a, uh, this was a college girl one time, who was like, oh, uh, i got to change before I go to RUF tonight. And he's like, why? And she's like, because this is what I wore last week. And he's like, 
you do realize nobody knows what you wore last week. Sorry, sorry to break your hearts. No one knows what you wore last week because everybody's concerned with what they wore this week. It's all that we think about. It's how we function. And see, according to Scripture, we're all affected by, by this disease that the Bible calls sin. And what sin has done is it twists us. It makes us inward. It, it makes us self-absorbed. And that puts us out of the dance of the world. That self-absorbed dance, it, if you think about it, it's the cause of the chaos and the pain in the world and our families. Because... Because when the beat of the music is I'm at the center, everyone has to revolve around me, everybody exists and everything to kind of feed my appetite, you start realizing that's the damage. The damage that comes from like the condescension of self-righteousness, right? Did you hear that? Not serving others because greed tells me that all this stuff is mine. Violence, deceit, jealousy, it all flows out of this, this infection of sin that wants independence from God that wants everything to revolve around me. But the Apostles' Creed and Jesus' prayer that he's inviting us into is the dance that we were made for. It's the dance that he created the foundations of the world on. It's the dance of reality. So when you're being invited to confess in God the Father Almighty, you are actually being invited into the worldwide healing project that God is doing in the world, restoring everything to rights by by making everything revolve around him, believing in God the Father Almighty. And you may say, well, everything God asking everything to revolve around him kind of sounds narcissistic. And Les might talk about this next week with creation, but remember how I said we're being invited into the dance of all of eternity? You see, revolving around the one God who is Father actually means we're not revolving around a unipersonal God. The Father has an eternal Son who He loves by an eternal Spirit. And so the, the God of the Scriptures, the real God of the Apostles' Creed, is three persons, one God. One in essence, three persons, which means before God made anything. Do you know what God was doing? If I can put it this way, hopefully this isn't blasphemous. He was dancing. He was singing, the Father and the Son and the Spirit delighting in, revolving around, singing in each other. And so believing in God who is Father, Son, and Spirit, you're being invited into actually the dance, the joy that has gone on through all of eternity. The God who is other-centered, who is always loving. And that's why I said two-thirds of the Apostles' Creed, you realize, is simply describing what God is like in three persons, because that's the foundation. So first, we actually believe in God, and sin distorts that and twists us inward, but saving faith turns to God. But then it says God the Father. And the first thing that the Creed wants you to know, and that Jesus, the way he asks us to pray, wants us to know, is that God is Father. He's Father. Now look, I recognize the name father or dad isn't warm and fuzzy to everybody in this room. Like some people in this room uh, have had bad fathers or absent fathers. And I don't, I don't actually need to gloss over the pain and the scars that come from that. I would actually ask you to consider, like, like, like we said at the beginning, if God is reality, if he's foundational, 
then that means if you have a dad or had a dad that was so unlike this God, cruel, manipulative, or absent, then of course it's scarring. Of course it's damaging. Because it's, it's against the grain of reality and what God our Father is like. It's lying to you about what God is and what this dance of life is about. And so in this context, Jesus is reminding them to pray, and he says, address God as our Father. But I want you to think about the context is this. He, he references people and the way that they pray. And he references hypocrites who stand on a corner and try to be seen in the impressive ways that they pray. And then he references Gentiles who kind of babble up trying all these kind of impressive uh, words trying to get God's attention. So he's talking about people who believe in God, but he says that's a distorted view of God. No, no, no. God is a father. He is near. He's close. He's, the big theological word, he's imminent. He, he can be and he wants to be known. He knows you better than yourself. He cares about you. He's involved in your ordinary experiences. You don't have to try to get his attention. He's there. Uh, one of my friends uh, talks about a uh, kind of just a memory that he just, he just can't forget when he was years ago, you don't know this years ago, uh, he was uh, a teenager at Liberty Land in, in uh, Memphis, which was a former amusement park. We're all sad there's not an amusement park within 60 miles anymore. And as he was kind of walking out after a hot day, he noticed one of those places where um, it's kind of like a rest area, it's kind of like a cool off, they have all these misters going. And he noticed these like four or five teenage kids that were just kind of laughing and kind of bumping each other and pointing at something. And when he turned to see what they were laughing at, he said he actually got angry because there was this young, probably like eight-year-old girl who was handicapped and kind of, kind of outwardly deformed, and she was trying to dance, and they were just laughing at her. And then he said he quit laughing because as he looked at her, he realized she was smiling. She was unbothered. And then he looked and realized why. And the reason was her dad was right in front of her, smiling, dancing with her in, in, in the mist, looking as silly as, her, he, uh, as she was. So she didn't care. She didn't care what anybody else thought because my dad was close and was smiling upon me. That's what the God of this universe is like. Deeply close, humble, listening, aware. He sees you. He knows you better than yourself. And in Christ, we'll talk about that. He smiles upon you. So here's the diagnostic. If you want to know if you see God as your father, if you relate to him that way. J.I. Packer actually says the way that you can judge whether somebody understands New Testament Christianity is see how much he makes of the fact that God is his father. So the diagnostic, I think, is what precedes the Lord's prayer. Why does Jesus say, hey, God is your father? Because people are being hypocrites, right? Hypocrites are people that wear a mask. They present something on the outside to try to be seen, to try to get attention, to look impressive that's actually different than what's on the inside. Hypocrites project an image that's not true. And Jesus points to them that are standing on a street showing an impressive spiritual good, good outer shell or even a Gentile, a foreigner that's just trying to use impressive phrases to get God's attention. And he says, why are you doing that? 
But see, the reason that, that hypocrites do those things is they feel like they need to be seen. They need to be noticed by others. And they feel like they've got to get God's attention because God seems far off. In other words, if you don't know God as Father, you will live like a neglected child, maybe even an abused child, trying so hard to get attention. Uh, it's a funny thing being a pastor. Um, I've sat in Bible studies before, and some will say, you know, Brian, I'm not sure this is correct because I know that you know the Greek and the Hebrew, but I think the Bible means this. And, you know, I rarely correct them, even though I don't remember the, the Greek or the Hebrew anymore because I just want them to think that I know. I've, like, I've even had times where I have been caught, and it just comes out. I, like, this person, I saw them, and... I all of a sudden remembered that, that they had told me what they were struggling with. And it just came out and I just, I said, hey, I've been praying for that. And I haven't. It was a lie. Because I wanted to look spiritual. And I wasn't. And, you know, this is your pastor. I hope you're, <laughs> hope you're okay with that. I do pray sometimes. But, like, <laughs> I, but what's behind hypocrisy is I need you to see me. I need you to smile upon me. And actually, I'm telling you, what's deep behind that is you think God is far off and he doesn't see you and you need to get his attention. And so if you don't know God as Father, hypocrisy is the way that we function. Our Christianity feels like a checklist that you're trying hard to do to make sure that God is smiling upon you because we don't want to be unnoticed. And it's the life of a neglected child, never knowing if you've done enough. But the God of the Bible is Father. He sees you. And you know what's great? He sees our hypocrisy and he moves towards us and he loves us. Do you hear it? That's the heartbeat of the universe. A father who is outward, who sees you and invites you in. He's saying you can trust me. So we've seen Christians believe in God, but not just kind of an abstract God. God who is father, but he's father almighty. So Jesus doesn't simply say, hey, pray our father. He says our father in heaven which is showing his majesty, right? He's on the throne. And then he's going to talk about things like desiring his kingdom to come and that he wants his will to be done. And he's going to talk in a way that this God is so strong, you can put yourself in his hands and he'll take care of your daily bread, your needs. He'll protect you from evil. He has the power to forgive sins. He's saying this is this God's power. His big, so his, all right, Father, his eminence, that's the big theological word. His, his almightiness, his transcendence, he's beyond us. He's big. He's beyond our finite comprehension. No building can contain him. No imagination can contain him. He's almighty. He's omnipotent. All right? Surely you've ever heard some kids do this. I, I, used to, I used to love this. I used to love telling my friends that my dad played college basketball because that meant my dad could beat your dad in basketball. And that was awesome, right? Or you'll overhear other kids, you know, it doesn't have to be a dad, it could be a mom. They just talk about how strong their dad is or their mom is because it's awesome to have someone like that. When we confess God the Father Almighty, we are affirming that any power, any strength that anyone exercises, you realize it's just derivative of him. He has loaned it. Like, he holds the galaxies in, our hand, in his hands. He, he literally is keeping your heart beating right now. 
every living thing, every angel, every, every human are alive because he sustains them. Proverbs says that the king's heart is just a stream in his hand. And so then comes the question of, does that almightiness disturb you a little bit? Tim Keller uh, is famous for saying, he, he has this quote where he says, look, the distance between the earth and the sun is 93 million miles. So if that distance was no more than a thickness of a sheet of paper, that 93 million miles, then the diameter of the Milky Way would be a stack of paper over 300 miles high. Think about that. And keep in mind, there are more galaxies than we can number. And the Bible tells us that God upholds the whole thing. And then he asks this, does that sound like the kind of person that you ask in your life just to be your personal assistant? And the answer is no. This is the almighty one. And see, here's where you feel the tension. If I only have God as father, warm, close, tender, but not almighty, the one who holds the universe in his hands, then like we said, right? I, I, I will actually live like a spoiled child, right? If I only know God is transcendent and far off, then I'm going to live like a neglected child trying to get his attention. But if I only know him as near, then I'm going to treat him like a personal assistant. Like he, he exists for me and all of my wants are his wants. And so the diagnostic of, do you know God is almighty is, can God cross you? Or is he just our personal assistant? Right? Jesus says for us to pray, his will be done, which means there's a greater will than mine. That his commands are actually good, his expressive will, even if it doesn't make sense to me. Even if it grates against what I want to do or what I feel like is right, because it's his will, he's almighty. And so I submit. His authority, his character is good, and his boundaries, even around my desires, around my words, around sexuality, around power, they are actually good whether I understand it or not, because he's almighty. But don't you see the goodness of, of this God's almightiness? Because look at the rest of the prayer, right? He uses that power to forgive sin, to provide his children what they need, to protect us from evil because it's his powerful hands that protect. And so living before, believing in God the Father Almighty means, gosh, this is what I love, and I just forget this all the time, it means the only person looking out for you is not you. We talked about this in our Friday morning Bible study. Like That's what we all think. The only person looking out for me is me. And that's just not true. And what that means is even when unwanted things come into my life, and it does happen, suffering, sin, pain, loneliness, I can somehow trust that it can't be because God doesn't see me, doesn't know me, or that he's weak and against me. He must be up to something in his almightiness that I don't understand. But I can trust him. And so I just want to bring this to a close by, by kind of asking one question. How? How can you know that Almighty God the Father is real? And how can you actually know if he is real, his power and his presence can and will be for you as a father? How can you be convinced for the first time or continue believing in God the Father Almighty and join the dance that I'm trying to tell you the whole world is doing? 
because it's not natural, right? What's natural is wanting independence. Look out for me. We're always sheep wandering off. We've always run from him. And we actually deserve his displeasure, which means his power should scare us. But think about what, I don't know, maybe is the most famous verse, at least in modern Western Christianity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever may believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Look, keep coming the next few weeks. We're going to keep unpacking this. But the way to know that God the Father Almighty is real and is good and is for you is look at the greatest expression of the Father's love and the greatest expression of his power. Look at the most precious gift that he has, and it's his eternal son. And though we're trying to be independent of God, causing this chaos and hurt, destroying God's world and destroying those he loves by trying to walk to our own beat, he sends the eternal son, the one the Father has always revolved around and delighted in. He sends him into the world to take on human flesh and the person of Jesus. And everywhere Jesus goes, he's always talking about God, his Father. Always saying, it's my food to do the Father's will. Join my dance. He has joy. But there is one time, there's only one time that Jesus doesn't call God his Father. You know where it is? It's on the cross. On the cross, he actually cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's the Father's love for you. There's the Son's love for you. Because on the cross, Jesus bears the penalty for our wanting independence for our trying to dance out of beat. And and then he dies because trying to be independent of God means death. And so he takes that in our place. And then when he's resurrected, there's this explosion of joy that defeats sin, defeats death. And what that means is that you and I, by faith, by faith, by simply believing you are brought into Christ. You are adopted as a child of God, which means you have the same smile upon you that Jesus has, the Father's smile. And that what we sing when we say how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretched treasure. Man, he loves hypocrites and he loves spoiled children. That's awesome. He moves towards us. So I'll end with this story. I heard um, from one of my friends about somebody else he knew. They were in Disney World. And he noticed uh, someone at Disney World. His name is Tyrone Woodley. Now, if you know Tyrone Woodley, you'll know this fact. If not, that's okay. I'll explain it. He's about 5'9". He's about 175 pounds. So you might not notice him. But he, at one point, was the reigning welterweight champion of the world in UFC. Okay? Which means, you know, UFC is like the the octagon octagonal ring or whatever, uh, things that like you turn your eyes from, you're like, wow, I can't, I can't believe they're doing that. So as, as he realized that was him, what he began to realize is like, most people aren't aware of who this guy is, but I'd put a lot of money. There's no one in Disney world right now that could force this guy to do anything that he didn't want. I mean, not even Scott Stewart could beat him up. Right. And like, and so he's watching this man of immense strength and immense power that no one could make him do anything he didn't want. But then he watched, then he said this, oh, there is someone bending his will. You know who it was? It was his three-year-old daughter. He watched his, three, her, his three-year-old daughter start crying, who was tired, who was too immature to know what was best for, was screaming and fighting against, against her. And what he watched was, of course he heard her needs. 
But he also kept doing what he knew what was best for her, and he had the strength to do it, even though she didn't understand. Which meant he related to her in a way that he did nobody else in the park, using his strength to care for her, using her strength to cross his hard will, even if he needed, but always there, always stooping down. That's my ending question this morning. What kind of God, if you believe, are you believing in? You may be saying none and investigating. Great, keep coming back. But what you're invited to see is the reality itself is a triune God, the Father who is tender and gentle and moves towards hypocritical and spoiled and broken people who resist them and want their own way, but strong enough to protect and provide and to save you and to see you to to the end. And the cross is an invitation to know God as God the Father Almighty, inviting you to be a child through Jesus Christ. How do I do that? How, does anybody, how did you become a child of your parents? You did nothing. It was something done, to, uh, it was something acted upon by another. The Trinity has done the work. If you want to become a child of God, receive it like dry ground receives rain. Receive it like weary children when they fall asleep. Isn't that what you're longing for? The only person looking out for you isn't just you. So you don't have to live like a neglected child or like a spoiled child. Believing in God the Father Almighty means by grace you are free to be a secure, loved child of God and actually join in the dance of the universe that is self-forgetful. And that's real joy. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Lord, you're our Father in heaven. Uh, we naturally just want things to revolve around us. It feels safe. But many of us have tasted that actually isn't safe. It's damaging. And so would you, by your spirit, draw us to God the Father Almighty, by your loving spirit, through the love and sacrifice of Jesus, and enable us to join that dance even as we sing. In your son's name I pray. Amen.